having one of those mornings where everything that can go wrong will go wrong. Um, work through some technical issues before service, work through some technical issues with the live stream during service. Felt like everything was good to go. I'm standing over there. I, felt, I thought I wanted to write down on my paper and the pen exploded on my hands and I've got ink on my shirt and on my pants. And so, I mean, not enough time to go change clothes or anything. So that's what's going on with me. Um, so I just kind of feel like I'm ready for this message if nobody else is. Uh, we're going to talk about words to live by. Uh, from Deuteronomy chapter 8 as we continue our series on holy patterns. Oh man, let's pray. Father, I thank you for the opportunity to gather with your people. And Lord, though it doesn't look like what we'd like for it to look like, and we're not able to do so in the way we would prefer. And Lord, though it's been a morning where things have gone absolute opposite of plans and Lord I pray that all of that would be pushed aside so that we could focus on your word and what your spirit has for us in this moment Lord thank you for the worship songs that we just sang Lord I pray that we would be able to say it as well with our soul Lord we would recognize that you have been so good and that even though there are circumstances that we are not fans of uh, Lord that overall there is so much for us to be thankful for Lord, I pray that that would, that would permeate our hearts and minds right now. And that in that spirit, we could receive your word. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Every generation has major moments that mark time. And people can think where they were when that thing, that event, that crisis, that moment hit. I've heard my grandmother talking about she can remember where she was at in the house running the vacuum cleaner when she heard breaking news come on the television. She stopped, and it was the announcement that President Kennedy had been shot. Many people, perhaps some of you, remember when you were watching the Challenger shuttle and it exploded in midair. Most of us over the age of 25 can remember where we were at on the morning of September 11th. Those moments, those are times that we, we all collectively experienced something. Tom Rainer has pointed out that it won't be like that for the pandemic. That because the pandemic kind of came out in little steps and phases and we experienced it in different ways in different places in the country, there won't be a specific moment that we remember collectively as the moment that the pandemic hit. Now, I personally have a moment that sticks out to me at the beginning. It was March 15th. We just had an incredible weekend of worship here at the church. Our Alpha and Freedom groups had just wrapped up the weekend before. We had great services on um, Sunday morning. And then that night, I met with our leadership teams to talk about how we were going to react to the pandemic because they had said you could only have 50 people in a gathering. And I, we closed out that meeting, prayed. I stepped out of the room into the hallway and opened my phone because I'd received several text messages during the meeting. And all of the plans that we had just made were useless because the governor had just changed it to 10 people. Now that moment for me sticks out because that was the moment that everything really changed for my leadership here at the church. But probably for you, it was another day that week when your work had to make changes or your kid's school made changes. 
And so all of us looked at it differently or came to grips with it in different moments. Because the pandemic was so fuzzy when it started, how it began. And I'm sure the same is true for the Hebrew people. The people who have been led out of Egypt, they probably could think of very important moments like when the plagues happened. Probably everybody could remember where they were when the Nile turned red. They could probably all collectively remember the Red Sea, it parting so that they could cross. But then they entered into this wilderness where there were years upon years of walking in the desert. And all of those days probably started to run together. And when they look back on those, there might have been some moments that would stick out, but probably it all kind of came in a big group. Moses comes to the end of his time with the Hebrew people, and he delivers some important words to them, kind of his final words of wisdom. And in Deuteronomy chapter 8, he tells them that there was a miracle that could have been happening underneath their noses without them recognizing it, without them noticing it. It didn't happen for everybody all at once. It was something that God did day in, day out for them as they journeyed. So look at Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 1 with me. Every command which I command you today, you must be careful to observe, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land of which the Lord swore to your fathers. And you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and test you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. So he humbled you, allowed you to hunger, and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make known that man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Your garments did not wear out on you, nor did your foot swell these 40 years. You shall know in your heart that as a man chastens his son, so the Lord God chastens you. In the Christian life, there are probably some key moments that stick out. Perhaps many of you can remember the church service where it was that God's truth gripped your heart. Or the conversation that you had with a friend who led you to the Lord when you recognized that you needed to repent of your sin and follow Jesus. Perhaps you can remember the day that you got baptized or the day that you joined the church. But the truth is, is that the Christian experience is an experience of every day being a miracle of God's grace. Every day a day of God working for us and in us. In his famous sermon, Sinners in the Hands of Angry God, Jonathan Edwards said, There is nothing that keeps wicked men at any one moment out of hell but the pleasure of God. And the truth is that every moment that you live before coming to put your faith in Christ was a moment of grace. The only thing that kept you from in that very moment dropping into the pit and flame of hell was God's grace. And every moment you've lived in Christ has been a moment of grace as well. 
Moses wants them to see that while there were these big moments where God had rescued them from the Egyptians, from the sea, moments where he had provided water out of a rock, there were the day-by-day moments where he provided them with food to eat and clothes on their back. When I think back on my childhood, there are very few meals that stick out in my mind. I can think of a few of my mother's dishes that were my favorites and some that she made on a regular basis, but none of those particular meals stick out particularly. But I know that I ate them all. I know that they all fed me, that they all nourished me. My mother fed me multiple times per day throughout my childhood. And similarly, I don't remember all of the come-to-Jesus moments that I had with my father when he had some really tough discussions with me, all of those run together. But I know that we had several of them in my childhood and in my teenage years. If I'm not careful, I could minimize my relationship with my parents to just a couple of those moments, to a couple of those holidays that stick out, to a couple of those days that were special, like graduation. But the truth is that my parents were there every step along the way. Parenting me, providing for me, training me, challenging me. Moses wants the people of God to remember that God was there every day in the desert. Providing for them and training them like a father trains his children. Like a mother provides for her children. And so while God was providing for them day by day in the desert, Moses said he humbled you and allowed you to hunger and fed you with manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds out from the mouth of the Lord. Let's talk about manna for a minute. Manna was this bread that when the people woke up in the morning was covering the ground. And all they had to do was walk out of their tent into the desert and they could pick up bread off of the ground. The word manna literally means, what is this? Because the people, when they came across it, they didn't understand what they had found. Bible tells us that it was like a bread, a biscuit that tasted like honey. And the people didn't know how it got there. Just suddenly appeared every morning. There's a sketch, I don't know if you've seen it, it's pretty popular online, there's a video of this guy, and he's explaining to his wife that their coffee table is magic. He says, listen, I'm telling you, this coffee table is magic. Every night I leave my dishes, my cup on this coffee table, and when I wake up the next morning, they are clean and put away in the cabinet. And the wife is just looking at him incredulous, like, are you serious? He's like, no, just leave your stuff here. And also, the hamper is magic too. If you throw your dirty clothes in the hamper, couple days they'll be cleaned and folded hung up in the closet the next scene is the man explaining to the police that he thinks his wife has fallen onto the table because she's left him she's disappeared she's incredulous because she's the one that's doing this work and the desert wasn't magic it was God providing for the people day by day what they needed and it's interesting that Moses points out here that God allowed them to hunger and then gave them food Now, while they were in the desert, their clothes didn't wear out. Their shoes didn't wear out. Their feet didn't swell. 
Moses is saying, listen, God could have. He could have allowed you to suddenly no longer be hungry. But rather, he humbled you and allowed you to hunger so that then he could provide you with the food that you needed. To teach you that day by day, you would need to come to depend upon him. Now, this manna would never last more than 24 hours. If the people went out and tried to gather up as much as they could so that they wouldn't have to do it every morning, they went out and they gathered four days' worth. When they woke up the next morning, the manna that they had gathered the day before would be rotten. It would be full of worms. Now, it wasn't that this was impossible. Because on the day before the Sabbath, they would go out and they would collect two days' worth of manna. And on the Sabbath day, the manna would be fine to eat. God has set it up to where every day, six days a week, they had to gather the manna. But on the sixth day, before the seventh day, before the day of the rest, that manna would last them for 48 hours. God didn't want them to have to collect manna on the Sabbath day. But every other day, he wanted them to go and collect this food. And Moses is reminding them of this miracle that happened day by day. But more importantly, he wants them to see the purpose. Why did God do it this way? God did it this way to teach them something. To teach them that they did not live by bread alone. But what, by what proceeds out of the mouth of God. More than the people needed bread. The people needed to learn to depend upon God. God wanted to feed them in the desert, but more importantly, he wanted to train them in the desert. And this statement that more than we need bread, we need God, or this statement that man does not live by bread alone, but on the words that proceed out of God's mouth, this is counterintuitive to us because our physical bodies cry out for food. Don't they? I mean, just go an hour later than you normally do for lunch. What's going to happen? Your stomach will literally gain the ability to talk. And not just talk, it will growl. We don't say that our stomach is gurgling or bubbling. We say that our stomach is growling, that it's getting angry, right? Snickers has a whole ad campaign about the way people get when they're hungry. That they get hangry. That they get difficult to be around. And some of you know this is true because you become that person. Or you live with someone who becomes that person. Chris Hodges says that while the physical spirit, the physical body gets loud when it's hungry, the spirit or the spiritual body gets quiet when it lacks. And if we go an hour past eating time and we're still hungry, we haven't eaten, our stomach will growl. But if we go an hour past our time to spend alone with God, our spirit gets quiet. You see, we are living our lives thinking that we need more of physical things. We live our lives thinking that we need more food, more stuff, more things, more money. But what God wants us to recognize is that what we truly need, that what we truly live on is spiritual. I want to point out two examples of this in Scripture. I've been reading about David and Saul in my Bible reading and it's fascinating that as they both progress, David leans more and more on the Lord and Saul takes more and more into his own hands. Because Saul is hunting David, because he's jealous of David, he's hunting him, so David goes to live among the enemy. And David and his many men return 
to find that their camp has been taken. All of their wives, their children, their belongings have all been carried off. And in that moment, it tells us that David strengthened himself in the Lord. Now, he and his men had just come back from a mission. They were no doubt tired. In fact, we learn that as they go to proceed after chasing these, these people who have kidnapped their wives and children, that 200 of David's men are too weak to cross the brook, to cross the creek, and so they wait there and eat. When David and his men finally catch the people who have taken their wives and children, they, uh, they rescue them and immediately eat because they are hungry and they are weak from going so long without food. But in this moment when David recognizes there is a mission that needs to be done, I need to go and rescue my family, go and rescue these people, he does not say, I need a burger. He strengthens himself in the Lord. He strengthens himself in the Lord. You and I... When we face difficulty, we immediately turn to physical means of sustenance or comfort. And we should learn that we do not live by bread alone, but that we live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God, that our strength and our comfort comes from Him. Another example Jesus is baptized by John the Baptist. This is kind of the moment that Jesus' ministry is initiated. After this, he will begin doing miracles and calling disciples. But right after he's baptized, he goes into the wilderness for 40 days. And so right before he's going to begin his ministry, he kind of does this training. And he doesn't go and bulk up on protein. He goes and he fasts. He goes and he denies his physical body while feeding his spiritual body. He is like a boxer preparing for a bout, getting lean and cut and strong. Only Jesus is not getting lean and cut and strong in his physical body. He's getting lean and cut and strong in his spiritual body. And it's in this moment that Satan comes to tempt Jesus because he is at his physical weakest point. But Satan makes a big mistake. Because while Jesus' physical body was weak, his spiritual body was strong from a 40-day fast. And I think that we fall into this trap of thinking, well, if I can just have the things that I need, if I can just have all of these things, if I can take care of those physical needs first, once I have my physical life in order, then I will spend time on my spiritual life. Once I've got my outer world in order, then I'll spend time on my inner life. And it needs to be the exact opposite. We need to focus on the inner world, the inner life. Do you know the temptation that Satan brings to Jesus? Jesus has gone 40 days without food. And Satan comes to him and says, Jesus, why don't you use your power to turn these rocks into what? Bread. Now, Jesus most definitely has this power because while the children of Israel were in the desert, God was able to make bread appear in the desert for them. So while Jesus is hungry... On this 40-day fast, he has the power with him to immediately have whatever food he wants. Y'all, I couldn't do that. The best way for me to not eat food is for me not to be around food. If I had the ability to change anything into a pancake, I would weigh 600 pounds. Some of you know this to be true in your own life. The way that you die is you get all of the food out of your house, Right? Right about the time that we went into quarantine, we had made some gift bags or some goodie bags for the kids, and Debbie had brought like, I don't know, 900 pounds of chocolate. And there were only about 200 pounds of it left, and nobody else was around but me. It was not good for all that chocolate to be here. I literally told Nicole and Ashley, hide that 
so that I don't know where it's, where it's at. With as much as my stomach tells me what to do, if I had the power to, what, to constantly have whatever it is I need, would not be good. Jesus responds to Satan, and he says what? He quotes Moses, and he says, man shall not live by bread alone. He quotes Moses to say to Satan, what I need is not physical food. What I need is spiritual food. The thing that you need more than your next meal or your next cigarette or even your next breath of air is the presence of God. That's the thing that you need. And this is what God wanted his people to learn. He wanted them to learn to depend upon him. And that's what God wants us to learn. In the crisis, the ever-present crisis of the desert, God taught his people to depend on him day by day. And I believe that in the ever-present crisis of this pandemic, what God wants to teach us is to depend on him day by day. Can I, can I be honest with you? Have I had some disagreements with God while leading this church? Been several moments where... I say, God, this community is full of people who are far from you, and I know that you want to save them. I know that you are the shepherd who goes looking for the one lost lamb, and there are 5,000 lost lambs here in Chandler alone. Why do you tarry? Why is there not revival? I've wanted revival on my own terms. I've wanted God to move in the way that I wanted him to. I've wanted God to do the thing that I wanted him to do. But through this pandemic, I've spent a lot of time looking at renewals and revivals, and I've found that God doesn't revive people who don't want to spend time with him. God doesn't revive people who push him away. Every revival has been brought among a group of people who seek his face. And the pandemic has also demonstrated that there were a lot of people attending church, not just our church, but church in general. There were a lot of people attending church who didn't really like God. I mean, they had a crush on God, like a seventh grade crush. Remember having a seventh grade crush? Like there was this girl or this boy that you just, you just loved them, and then summer came and you just completely forgot about them? That's where a lot of people were at with God. Summer break came, the pandemic came, and they forgot about him. What God did in the desert was make it clear that he was not interested in liberating the Jews and sending them on their way. He was interested in being with them day by day. And he brought them to this place where they were daily in dependence upon him. Daily they were depending upon him. This past week in Christianity Today, Josh Laxton wrote about remembering September 11th and the lessons that it can teach us during 2020. And he quoted extensively from President Bush's speech after September 11th. I want to read this particular paragraph for you. From you, for you. This is what President Bush said after the attacks on 9-11. Terrorist attacks can shake the foundations of our biggest buildings, but they cannot touch the foundation of America. These acts may shatter steel, but they cannot dent the steel of American resolve. America was targeted for attack, because, for attack because we're the brightest beacon of freedom and opportunity in the whole world. And no one will keep that light from shining. Today, our nation saw evil. 
the very worst of human nature, and we responded with the best of America. Josh Laxton point out, points out that in an emergency, not only do we reorder our priorities, we remember our foundation. President Bush said, listen, this has shown what we are truly founded upon. It is not business, it is not commerce, it is not these buildings, but rather it is the freedom, the liberty of the American spirit. And in this emergency, we need to reorder our priorities, but we also need to be reminded of what is our foundation. In the ever-present emergency of this pandemic, God is teaching us that he is our foundation. That we must be founded upon him. That everything else can be taken in a moment. So we must be founded upon him. In Isaiah 26, Isaiah is a prophet who gets to give both prophecies of judgment and prophecies of hope. He's telling the people of the horrible things that are coming, but then tells them of the good things that will come beyond it. In Isaiah 26, verses 1 to 4, he says, In that day this song shall be sung in the land of Judah, that day being the day that God comes and conquers his enemy, that day when God comes and makes all things right. This is what the people will sing. We have a strong city. God will appoint salvation for walls and bulwarks. Open the gates that the righteous nation which keeps the truth may enter in. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts you. Trust in the Lord forever for in Jehovah the Lord is everlasting strength. He's saying that on that last day, the people will rise up and they will sing, we have been given a city that will never fail. We have been given a place that will never crumble. And there have been some really impressive cities through the generations. There's been some really impressive places, but every one of them has proven to be susceptible to attack, to famine, to pandemic. John Tyson, who's a pastor in New York, I heard him on a podcast recently talk about during the pandemic, there was this moment that he went to go and pray and he was the only person, the only person in Times Square. I mean, think about that. The pandemic shut down New York. Right now, people are fleeing the large cities of our country, moving into the countryside. Tech companies are recognizing that all of their people can work wherever they want, and so they're moving into cheaper places, away from the city. But in the final day, we will say we have a strong city that cannot be overcome. And God appointed salvation for its walls and its strength. And the gates have been opened so that the righteous may come in. And you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. This phrase, stayed on you, it means laid upon or founded upon. For the person whose mind is resting upon God, we will be kept in perfect peace. But can I tell you how most of, our, most of us live our lives? We live our lives with our minds not stayed upon God, not founded upon God, not focused upon God, but rather we live with our minds focused upon media, content, distraction, 
other people. Busyness, schedules, profit margins, deadlines, projects. Our minds are focused on things that by their very nature will make us anxious. Right now we are living in the greatest era of anxiety. People are constantly anxious. And that is because collectively as a world population, our minds are focused on things that are constantly shifting and falling apart. Mark Sayers says that the root of our emotional toxicity and our deep anxiety and our fears lies in the absence of God's presence. And think about Adam and Eve. They're at perfect peace in the garden. Nothing to be anxious about. So at peace that they can walk around without any clothes on and not be anxious. No anxiety. But then they eat of the tree and break God's command. And suddenly they're filled with fear and regret and they're anxious. They put their focus, they put their minds upon something else. If your mind is stayed upon this world, you will constantly be in upheaval. Let this crisis teach us that the only foundation worth building our lives upon is God and His truth. Now, I know that some of you think, hey, listen, I've been a Christian for a long time. Put my faith in Jesus when I was your age, Pastor Daniel, and that's been a little while ago. Put my faith in Jesus when I was a child and been walking with Jesus ever since. I'm good. This, this crisis didn't shake my foundation. You know, some foundations fail in a moment, like in an earthquake. But some fail over time. The Leaning Tower of Pisa is kind of famously known for leaning. And work has been done on it to kind of sure it up. But at one point, about 2007, researchers found that it was moving out of plumb, further, leaning further, one twentieth of an inch every year. That doesn't sound like a lot. But for a building that's been around for 800 years, it's getting further and further out of plumb. You know why the Leaning Tower of Pisa is leaning? Because it's in Pisa, and Pisa means marshland. It was built in the marsh with a foundation that's only 10 feet deep. Frank Lloyd Wright had to design the rebuilding of the Imperial Hotel in Tokyo. And what he found was that all of the ground all around it was just mud, soft, was unstable. And so most of his design work went into this massive foundation that was reinforced with steel. And that massive foundation floated on the south, the soft ground, giving it a firm foundation in the middle of all of this sinking, marshy sand. People thought it was kind of overkill. But a few years later, after the project was finished, an earthquake hit Tokyo and many of the buildings surrounding it fell. But that hotel remained. When our minds are stayed or founded or focused upon God, they have a foundation that is sure in the middle 
floating upon all of this uncertainty, all of this marshy ground, all of these things that may be gone tomorrow or completely changed, we can have a surety, a stay in the middle of this. And when we have a sure foundation, we can live at peace. Why do I continue to emphasize winning the day? Because when you fail to win the day, you found, you build, you establish your thoughts, your day, your life, day by day on things that are shaky at best. Things that are uncertain. But when you found your life upon Christ, when you establish your life upon Jesus, when you build your life upon him, you have a foundation that is sure and one that you know is good. I mean, how beautiful is that? That not only is it sure and stable, it's good. You ever gone camping and you need to find a spot to put your tent or your camper? And it's like, man, this is beautiful, but it's on a hill. Oh, this is a great spot. Look at the view, but it's in a puddle, right? It's very rare that you can find a spot that's level and also beautiful. And Jesus is that foundation that is good and stable. A truth that we can build our lives on that is filled of grace and love. Build your life there. Place your tent. Park your camper there.